All right, church, if that is not the coolest music of a video you've ever heard, then, uh, man, that's, that's an awesome one. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be, so go ahead and turn there. I want to say hello to uh, the Biltmore Church campuses across the beautiful 828, and let me say thank you uh, for, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of volunteers at Family Fun Fest uh, yesterday. Uh, we still got Franklin to do this week, but uh, yesterday there were some 8,500 people that came through the different... Uh, events and things that you all did. So phenomenal job. Thank you, uh, volunteers, and thank you, Kids Ministry. Great job uh, for that. And if you were uh, if you were there for the first time, and you're like, let's go check the place out, hope you feel just as welcome uh, today. So here's where we are. And uh, th- what you just saw in a video is called The Big Give, and that is basically uh, the month of December for our church where we serve the communities in which God has allowed us to be a part of. We're in four different counties but we're going to be serving five different counties this time with any, they're not random acts of kindness. They're not random acts of generosity. They are very specific and they are very intentional. And what a year to be able to do that. I mean, this past year, we've had our neighbors have lost homes. They've lost cars. They've lost jobs. They've lost, they've become food insecure. And here's what we're going to, here's what the whole thing is about is we want to demonstrate with our lives, the gospel that we speak with our lips. That's the whole thing. And so we want to we wanna demonstrate with what we do, what we actually also say and preach and try to articulate Sunday after Sunday over and over and over. There's a theologian named N.T. Wright, and he said this. He says, we sketch out in pencil what Jesus will one day paint with indelible ink. And so what we're going to do in the month of December is uh, we are going to be a blessing to some 3,000 families plus that have been identified already through our everybody from our friends in the school uh, districts to say, you know what, these are the families that would really, really benefit with generosity. And so there's 3,000 families that we're going to do that to, as well as a, a number of folks specifically and intentionally and very uh, generously. And uh, let me just say this as well, um, if you're watching online, I uh, would love for you to be a part of that, but want to specifically uh, talk to Elizabeth. She is right here in Asheville. We've got Lisa from Apex, North Carolina. All right, Lisa, we know a bunch of folks from, from Apex, and we can uh, recommend a great church. And then Janet from Winter Spring, Florida. All right, you're watching from Florida. You're probably alone in that state because the rest of the people in that state are up here in the mountains, but uh, we're glad, very glad that you are watching from from there. So here's the deal. Uh, the first if you hadn't been with us or hadn't been with us in a while, what we've been doing is we've, been, we've taken the, this year and we've gone through what's called the year of the Bible. The year of the Bible. Now, our, our church is about the Bible every single year. But this year, what we've tried to do, is we started in Genesis, we're going to end in Revelation. And what we've done is we've gone through it front to back, looking at the main and major themes in the Bible. And what we did is we started way back in January and we started in Genesis and we looked at how, you know what, man's sin caused the fall and all hell broke loose in our world. And yet every story is talking about one story and every character is pointing to one character and how there are no, there's not a bunch of heroes in the Old Testament. There's one hero in the Bible and his name is Jesus and all the other characters are pointing to him. And then when the New Testament opens, John the Baptist says, listen, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then throughout the Gospels, what it talks about is how Jesus then lived the life we were supposed to live and then died the death that we deserve to die. And then when he ascended into heaven, 
he commissioned a group of people that is known as the church to go and take the good news, which is what gospel means, to take the good news to our neighbors and to the nations. And then we took about six weeks and we went through a book called the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, like the first 30 years. And it is the largest, most diverse movement in all of human history. People from every single part of the globe are saying, you know what, I'm part of that movement, I'm part of that movement, and then the gospel just spread. And so now we're in a place that is called the epistles. They're letters that the apostles would write back to the churches that were founded in that region about how do you live out the gospel. How do you actually live out the gospel with your marriage, with your morals, with your money? How do you live that out now that you've come to know Jesus? And so when it comes to the big give, we stand on the shoulders of the early church that generosity was their, in many ways, their hallmark. For example, they they talk, historians talk about how when plagues would enter regions, all of the pagan priests, the spiritual leaders that were not Christian, they would leave town as quick as they could. All of the wealthy people, they would leave town as quick as they could for two reasons. Number one, they had a lot to lose. They had a lot to lose. These were people of means, and when these plagues would break out, there's like three of them that are noted in the historical books. It's like, you know what? We got to get out of here. And the second reason they left is not just because they had a lot to lose, it's because they were afraid of death. But the early church, with virtually no political influence, with not a whole lot of money, they noted that the Christians would actually stay in the city. They would stay and they would care for the sick. They would even care for not just their own sick, they would care for the pagan sick. And then what would happen is, as the plague would then subside, those pagans that were cared for by the Christians, when they saw the gospel, not just heard it, but they saw it, they actually then turned from their pagan way of life and embraced Jesus. And the reason was, again, it wasn't first and foremost because of the theology, although super important, it was because of the generosity that they saw in the early church. And so here we are, and the the Apostle Paul, he writes a bunch of the letters, a bunch of the epistles. Last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians about the division and what unifies a church, and it's the the unification of a church is is all about making sure you focus on the primary things, and then you you put the secondary things on the bottom shelf, the primary things on the top shelf. Here he goes to 2 Corinthians, which is a letter that he wrote before he got back there when he heard some other stuff and had some questions. And as he writes this, he actually talks and piggybacks on that whole movement that is going on, and here's what the text gives us insight to. And I'll acknowledge the elephant in the room in just a few minutes. What he acknowledges is he talks about the relationship between the needs that you have. Needs that you have. Everybody's got needs. He talks about the relationship between the needs that you have, the needs that your neighbors have, and then how God wants to supply both of them. So I'm going to read the text all the way through and... uh, go straight to the point of three or four principles that were very helpful, I know, for the Frank family. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And by the way, what he's doing here in the first part of the chapter is he actually tells this church, he tells this church, um, hey, I want to use you as an example for the other churches, and your example has been a great example about generosity for other churches. And I thought about that in relation to Biltmore Church. 
When, the, when COVID first broke out, what was it, nine years ago or whenever it was, when it first broke out, probably the first seven or eight months, especially during the early days and shutdown and all that kind of stuff, I remember people like, you know, they'd ask different questions and especially our leaders would come up. It's like, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, you know, it's like, how's the giving? How's the giving? How's the giving? It was awesome to actually say, it's actually good to say, you know what? It's going awesome. Church is doing awesome. And not only doing awesome just like the normal budget stuff, but you gave hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars away to people in the community that had great need. People that had lost their jobs, servers that had been laid off, those kind of things. So it was awesome to say, you know what? We want to be an example. We want to be an example of, okay, God blesses the generous church. So here's what we're looking at. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says this. The point is this. He uses a farming analogy. Again, uh, uh, I'm not a farmer. A lot of you all aren't farmers. Um, but all of us, you know, whether the closest you come to farming is Chick-fil-A, this is, you can understand this right here. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But here's what he says, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. If you underline your Bible, there's the word all. It's actually in English, it's four times, but actually it's the same word five times in one verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all or every good work. As it is written, and he quotes Psalm 112 here, he is distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And then he goes back to the farming illustration, and he says in verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Last two verses. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, meaning the people that receive the generosity, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. All right, online or in the house or one of the campuses, here's the deal. I've been doing this long enough to know that anytime you even mention the word generosity, no matter how much you couch it in terms of helping your communities or whatever, some people get nervous, all right? I mean, get real nervous. You might as well, you know, think back to, you know, when you were like in seventh grade and then the coach was like going to do his sex education talk and you're like, oh, I know I need to hear this, but I'm nervous. Everybody's nervous, all right? So relax a second. There's a couple reasons people get kind of nervous. Number one, I would say two of them are because of preachers and one of them is because of the people. Or one of them is personal, two of them are preachers. Reason number one, people get nervous in regards to when you talk about generosity is the preacher's gonna put a guilt trip on you. The preacher's just gonna, he's gonna come down heavy. Listen, we've already taken up the offering. Actually, we don't even take up an offering now with COVID, right? We don't even do that. I mean, 85% of you all do it online anyway. So relax, there's no offering. I'm not gonna strong arm you. There's no guilt trip as a matter of fact, this text says the opposite. As a matter of fact, he's going to say, if you've got to do it guilty, just keep it. Don't even help a family. Second reason is you've had a bad experience because some preachers with, I mean, they do. There's some crazy teaching out there. It's like some preachers like, you know what? God's a vending machine. 
You put a nickel in and he'll give you $100 back. And he's got a $4,000 suit on and wife has got like Pepto-Bismol colored hair. And you're like, man, that guy is flashy and fake and foolish and whatever else. You're like, I don't, I don't like that. And good reason. I don't like it either. Third reason though, is not about preachers. It's really personal. It's because Jesus actually said, this was the last thing for most of us to be converted. This is the one thing that rivals him in our lives more than any other thing. He says, you know what? You can't love me and love money because you know why? You're going to hate one and serve the other or serve one and hate the other. You can't. He doesn't say that about anything else. He's like, this is what is the biggest rival for your heart. This is what you've got to struggle with. All of us have to do this. And so um, I'll put it this um, if you're kind of up, if you're uptight right now and wish you'd have skipped or wish you'd have watched online or whatever, I'm, I would just say this. This past two weeks, my truck has just simply been saying, get your oil changed soon. Get your oil changed soon. Every time I would turn it on, that's what would show up. And I kept having to push the okay button. And it got, you kind of kept I was, okay, I know, I know, I know. But it kept bugging me and it kept bugging me and it kept bugging me. And finally, guess what I did? Got the oil changed. I just took the time to do what it needed to have happen to it. And now it's not blinking at me anymore. In many ways, that's like when God's like, listen, just obey in this area. And here's my true confession about our church is I am, this is the area that even leaders oftentimes stray. And I would say this reason. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, just as you excel in every area, you excel in earnestness, which means sincerity. You excel in knowledge, which means you know the Bible a whole bunch. You excel in faith, meaning you can believe God for a whole bunch of stuff. And then it says you even excel in speech, meaning you can like speak really, really good. But I want you to excel in this also. So again, there's no offering. I'm going to tell you on the front end, if you're like, yeah, that big gift thing, I don't even want to be, that's fine. All I'm going to do today is I'm going to lay out for you four principles that God says, you know what, this is the, this is the economy in which I operate. If anything in here, you're like, that's not biblical and you're just making something up or you're one of those crazy pink-haired preachers or what, that's fine, just, that's fine, fine. Not going to ask anything but you need to know how the economy works. And here's what I would simply say. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a lot more about discipleship than it is about dollars. It's about your discipleship. It's not how God raises money. It's how God raises his kids. And so, number one, these are going to be quick, so you got to listen quick. These are four. I usually have one point, maybe two. got four, so uh, I'll speak quick. You listen quick. Point number one from verse 6 and verse 10 is our stuff is on loan. Our stuff is on loan. Paul is urging the Corinthians to get an offering for the impoverished saints, get it ready before he arrives. And he illustrates it by the example of a farmer. He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. In other words, a farmer's harvest depends on what he planted. But then in verse 10, he says this, he, meaning God, who supplies seed to the sower. So look at me for a second. Let's just acknowledge what we should know already. Verse 10 is saying that God is the one that supplied the seed to begin with. God's the one that actually gave you that seed, and he is telling us how we are to manage it. Now, Jesus spoke about money more than he did about grace or heaven, so it's super important. But in general, here's what the Bible teaches about this in the big picture. The Bible says that God says, I want you to manage it, and the general ways you can manage it is I want you to save some, I want you to spend some, and I want you to share some. That's like of all, there's, there's thousands of verses in the Bible about this, but that basically comes down to this. 
I want you to save some. Nothing wrong with saving. You and I should save. Proverbs talks about it all the time. All right, look at the ant. Looks how he puts away in this season so he can have in this season. Save some. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong even with leaving an inheritance for our kids. Nothing wrong with that. Then he says to spend some. This ought to be a rejoicing time. He's like, I want you to enjoy some of the gifts that I give you. First Timothy chapter 6 says, you know what? God gave us all things to enjoy, so enjoy some stuff. Nothing wrong with having a lot of stuff. But he also says then to share some stuff, to actually share some things. And part of it is just like I'm going to manage something, steward everything. So here's something that I know kind of has been misinterpreted in the years past, but virtually everything we have, your ability to see, in fact, you got up this morning, your ability to breathe, all of that is a gift from God. And um, here's how we know that. He doesn't need, let me give you two points. First of all, when, when you look at what God gives us, number one, he, he typically doesn't want to take it anyway. He wants to give it. God's a giver by nature. But I would say the second thing that's just very sobering is he doesn't need our permission to take our stuff anyway. Now, we learned this in... Um, a lot of us learned this the hard way, like in the late 80s with a stock market crash. Some of us learned it in 2005 and 6 with a real estate crash. Some of us learned it at the start of COVID when you got your job laid off. And then you're like, well, God's very concerned with providing for me. And he is both in the good days and the bad days. We just need to realize it's his to begin with. I'll give you an example. Like there's a museum in Atlanta that the Louvre in Paris gave them some very expensive artwork, all right? Rembrandts, that kind of stuff, gave them some artwork to just show for a couple of months. We give you this not to keep, we give you this to show and to put in your museum to showcase. Now, just some basic questions. How much of that, how many of those masterpieces do you think that the Louvre expected the Atlanta Museum to take care of? 100%. How do you think the Louvre would have responded had, they, had the Atlanta Museum said something like, you know what, thank you for this. Uh, we liquidated 90% of it to do some upgrades around the museum, but here's 10% of it back. Okay, Not well. The point is this. God gave it to us, some to save, some to spend, and some to share. And here's the truth of the matter. Anytime I struggle with this one thing, because this is like the true north of any kind of generosity, the true north that always is like, what does the boss want me to do with what he's entrusted to me? And anytime I struggle with that, anytime I struggle with a check, anytime I struggle with a tithe, anytime I struggle with our compassion kids, anytime I struggle with, when I say struggle, it's not that I wouldn't do it, but I'm like, eh, I'd rather, man, rather buy, rather buy a shotgun or rather buy something like that. Anytime I struggle with that, I know I've gotten away from it because I know that from just being a parent. All right, parents, let me ask you this. How would you feel? Or let me, I'll tell you what, I'm going to save that for a minute. What if, what if your kid asks you for money and then he takes that money, or this happens all the time when they're small, they give you a present for Christmas. But when they're five years old, they have no earning power. When they're seven, they have no earning power. Maybe an allowance at some point in there. But they're like, hey, remember Tyler? It's like, hey, can I have some money? For what? I want to buy you a present. No, the, the problem with that is, the problem with that is, he's really not giving anything to me, correct? 
All he's doing is he's taking money to go buy me a tie that I probably won't wear to begin with, but he's wanting to do it, and it's actually good. I like for you to do that, but I understand basically I own it, and I'm loaning it to you. So here's a question. question would be this. What would it look like for you to manage your resources? Because he talks about your time and your talent, but also what would that look like for you? For some of you, it'd be like, for the first time, I'm actually going to be regularly generous. And by the way, I always say this anytime I've preached on this, and I hadn't preached on this in the whole year of the Bible, so you know I skipped a bunch of stuff. But if you're like, I can't get over the fact you're the one asking me about it, just take these same principles and apply them somewhere else, all right? And I say that in all seriousness. There's plenty of people that believe in what we're doing. And I'm saying, if you're like, I can't get over the fact that I'm in church and I hadn't been in church in a year and I finally came and you're preaching about that. If you can't get over that, just take these principles and apply them to someplace else. But the first one is just realize it is on loan. But what would it look like for you to, re- to, to acknowledge that God owns it all? What would that look like? Would that be regular? Would that be sponsoring a family for like $25, giving them a week's worth of groceries for 25 bucks. And the only reason we can do that, by the way, is we've got some great partners in like Flavor First and Manna, and we can do that. You can't do that. Heck, you can't even take your girl out to dinner for 25 bucks. But it's on loan. Our stuff is on loan. So here's the part that will relieve some of us. Motive matters. Verse 7. Do what you have decided in your heart. It's the idea of you think ahead of time. And here's some other things. He says, don't do it reluctantly. Don't do it under compulsion. So again, God actually is saying, if you're doing this because you feel guilty, because the preacher's sweating a lot or whatever, if you're doing that because of that, he said, just, just keep it. He says, just keep it. I'll find somebody else. You keep it and pray about it until you can actually be, he says, a cheerful giver. Now, a lot of preachers will say, We get our word hilarious from cheerful, and we do. But I don't think the idea is that when the, it used to be when the basket was passed, now it's when the online is logged into. It'd be hilarious, like, ha, ha, ha. That's not it at all. But it is the idea of, hey, I enjoy this. I'm enjoying being a part of this. I love, I love hitting send. I love putting give when it comes to compassion or whatever. So here's, here's the, Here's what you got to get. This is, I'm going to say this twice just so you get it down. A disciple of Jesus does not merely respond generously to a sermon, but lives a life of generosity in response to the gospel. Listen to that again. A disciple of Jesus, you're like, you know what? I'm a Jesus follower. A disciple of Jesus does not give in response to a sermon. They don't. That's what his whole point is. Don't do it because somebody like brought the hammer down on you. You don't do it in response to a sermon, but you and I want to live generously in response to the gospel. That's what we're supposed to do. And so he says, do so cheerfully. And I would say this, you can't be number two if you don't know number one. So let me go back to parenting again. You cannot be cheerful and your motive can't be pure if you don't know number one, God gave it to me to begin with. Example, this has probably happened. You give Junior, you give Scooter a awesome video game. They've been asking for that. Gotta have this, gotta have this PlayStation, gotta have this. You saved up, you did some different things, and you give them on Christmas morning, boom, PlayStation. Scooter's in there playing PlayStation for four hours all Christmas morning. 
You finally, after helping clean up and doing all that kind of stuff, you go in there and go, hey, Scoot, can I take a little turn on that thing? And Scooter has the audacity to look at you and go, no, it's mine. I'm just telling you, if I'd have done that growing up, Man, no more PlayStation, all right? I'll show, I bought that PlayStation. I can buy five PlayStations, and I'm taking that one away from you. That's what it would happen. And you're like, well, we don't discipline our kids. We don't, we don't discipline our kids. We, we know. We can tell. We see you in the grocery store, okay? So it's just true. It's just true. All right. And, and let I me mean, I'm sure. Cannot wait. Ken, you're going to answer the emails, all right? So um, four motives, four motives. I'm just in a, in a quick nutshell. It's like, what motives should I have? What motives should I have? What motives should I have? There's probably about four general ones. The first two are not good. The next two are good, but it goes in, it goes in kind of that order. Uh, first one, motivation, you know, and it's really, it's, this is the reason we don't. It's because of, it's just because of greed, which is interesting because Jesus says, be on your guard against every form of greed, which is interesting because he doesn't say that about anything else. He doesn't say, be on your guard against every form of adultery. I think the reason is, is some stuff is like patently obvious. Greed kind of creeps in on you. It's like adultery. Nobody's over there going, oh, oh, I just fell into adultery. You know, you know that's happening. But when it comes to greed, it's like nobody, nobody thinks they're greedy. It's just like here in the West, none of us think we're rich. But we're in the top 4%. 99% of the people listening to my voice, you're in the top 4% worldwide in being rich. We just want to be good at being rich because there's nothing wrong with being rich. Just be good at it. But nobody thinks they're greedy either, correct? Nobody thinks they're greedy. It's like, hey, I gave a $5 bill to the guy down there on 26 at the stoplight. I feel good about myself. I mean, is that, but is that generosity? Because greed says, I'm the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. I tell where my money goes. I earned it. It's mine. That's fine. Just don't, don't, don't fly the flag of a disciple of Jesus real high. Because part of that is saying, you know what? I'm not the boss of me. Repentance means I'm not the boss of me. Jesus, you're the boss of me. That's Repentance. So greed is, is one. Second one, it's also not good, and I would just call this, again, you know I, I don't hammer any specific church, but I will per- periodically hammer what is known as the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel is basically God is a means to an end. God is a means to an end. The prosperity gospel says it's a quid pro quo. God, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. God, you are like the heavenly pinata. If I whack you with enough faith, then you are obligated to give me cotton candy and Cadillacs. You are required to do that. Uh, That is heresy. That's heresy. Listen, God is not our bending machine. He's not our bellhop. God is the God of the universe, and he's good, and he's a giver. But the prosperity gospel is like, you know what? God is just simply a means to an end. That's not even biblical Christianity. Those are the bad ones. Let Let me give you a couple of good ones. The first one is good. The second one is really the best. But number three is, what I'm, let's just call it ROI, return on investment. Some of you give because you think it's a good investment. You look at stuff like the prison ministries or you look at the Compassion International uh, emphasis in building child development centers and you look at what we're going to do with Big Give and helping people get back on their feet and people whose homes have been washed away, getting them back in a home, those kind of things. You're like, that's good. That's a good investment. And there's actually a lot of stuff really, really good about that. 
It's really good about that. But the best, the actual best motivation is just simply in a response to the gospel. It's in a response that, you know what, Jesus is already my reward. Jesus saved me. Jesus was rich, and yet he became spiritually poor for my sake. That's why we always go back to like 2 Corinthians 5.21. It made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that I could become the righteousness of God in him. So why do we give? Because God was generous with us. Why do we serve people? Because God served us in the gospel. So the biggest and the best motivation is simply, you know what? Not to earn God's favor and not even because of ROI. It's just simply the fact that God is good and God has already given to us. And you know that's true. When you really, really, really are fired up about what somebody's given to you, man, you just can't, you're just like somebody, somehow you turn into a $10 million debt and all of a sudden you realize some benefactor has paid off your debt, not only paid off $10 million and then given $10 million to your bank account, a little casual, man, thanks a bunch, bro, high five, let's get coffee sometime, that does not suffice. I mean, you're going to hug that guy, you're going to do, it's like, I am I'm indebted to you forever. Now multiply that times like a billion And that's what's called gospel generosity. So number one is it's on loan. Number two, motive matters. Number three, look at verse 8, 9, and 10. And he does something a little bit different here. And in your Bibles, you'll see it's indented. Some of it's indented. Sometimes it's in quote. Sometimes it's both because he quotes Psalm 112. And here's the third principle is just prioritize what's on God's agenda. Now, he says that you may abound in every good work. And he quotes Psalm 112. And he's reminding the Corinthians of God's commitment to disperse his gifts and take care of the poor. In other words, God is at work, and when we get involved with him, we are partnering with something and someone that is so much bigger than our plan and our purpose and our little bag of seed. See what he's saying? He's saying, look at, look at, I'm going back to the Old Testament, and God is going to get this stuff dispersed. So let me just say this. Generosity is not because God has needs. This is super important. I probably should have said this at the start. Generosity is not because God has needs. God has no needs at all, has none. I mean, you and I could just go through the whole part, you know, cattle on a thousand hills, but God does not operate on the basis of need. I mean, for example, think about Peter when Peter was like, hey, we got we to gotta pay taxes. He's like, hey, go get a gold coin out of a fish's mouth. Who does that? What about the fact when you got the, the boy with the little fish and the loaves? You know, he's got, hey, you got five loaves and two fish. Okay, question on the floor. Did he need five loaves and two fish? He did not. He could have done it with one loaf and half a sardine. He could have done it with like a, he could have done it with like a, a crumb and no fish. The point was God is not operating on need. But what God does is this. He has ordained it to say, I'm going to take my kids, I'm going to take my kids, and they're going to offer it up, and it's going to bring me glory, and it's going to be for other people's good. Now, what would that be? Two things. Number one would be the spread of the gospel, the spread of the gospel. That's why I said at the very beginning, our agenda as a church, first and foremost, is to announce the gospel. It's not to feed the hungry. It's not to put homes back together again. That's not what the number one priority is. So hear that again. We are not here just to give people a more comfortable place to go into a Christless eternity from. That's not what we're here for. Our first thing is to announce the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, I'm in debt to the people, both the Greek and the Jew. I'm indebted to them. And so we wanted the gospel to go out. But also, God does use his people to help people in need. 
There are countless verses in the Bible about helping people in need. Numerous places about our responsibility to do that. Proverbs 3.27 says, Those who close their eyes to the poor receive many curses, but those who give to the poor, they will lack nothing. Proverbs says, Do not withhold good from those with whom it is due when it is in your power to act. The half-brother of Jesus, a guy named James, says in three different places, listen, if we see a brother who is suffering while we have the capacity to help him and don't, we cannot possibly be people of faith. I know it's some, some of us, and we're all over the map when it comes to what our means are, and it's very easy to simply say, well, I don't have a whole lot. So here's just a simple question. Here's a simple question. People are like, well, I don't have a lot. Some of us can't say that. Some of us are like, I do have a lot. But you're like, I don't, I don't have a whole lot. Um, with his blessing comes an assignment. Okay, that's not Spider-Man, all right? Spider-Man is like, hey, with, with great blessing comes or with uh, great power comes responsibility. The Bible version of that is to whom much is given, much is required. But you're like, I don't really have that much. Question. Based on what you're doing now with whatever it is that God has given you so far, if you were God... Would you give you more? Based on what you're doing now with whatever it is that God has given you, time, talent, obviously treasure, if you were God and it was based on what you're doing currently, and if you were God, would you give you more? Because the amazing part is it says right here, it says God actually, God actually rewards it. Now, that's the fourth one. Now, here's the part we got to be clear because there have been some wacky promises made. And one thing about here, I, w- I want you to understand the biblical principles of this. We will never, ever, 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 ever teach something that's not in the Bible just because we're trying to get something done. You understand that? When it comes to church, the number one thing is how do we glorify God? That's the number one thing. If we glorify God, we're confident that, you know what, God's going to draw the people. So our deal is how do we glorify God and how do we communicate the gospel? And while there's been some wacky, wacky promises over the years that promise things that God does not promise, the truth of the matter is God does reward. Hebrews chapter 11 says, listen, God is a rewarder by nature. Now it says it all over this passage. At verse 6 he says, you will reap bountifully. Verse 10 says, he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way. So here's the question. What does in every way mean? What does in every way mean? Because again, he's talking about as a follower of Christ, how do you become a conduit versus a cul-de-sac? Cul-de-sac is I get, I get, I get. A conduit is I get to give, I get to give, I get to give. So what does that look like? What is this whole idea that God says, you know what, I will bless you in every way with your generosity? So a lot of times people will ask, and fairly so, they're like, hey, does that include financial? Does that even include, does he mean financial? As in if you give, God will increase you financially. Is that included in that word every? I mean, every is a big word. Does it include that? I would say this, that is a promise that is a principle repeated throughout the scriptures. For example, Proverbs chapter 3 says, 
Honor the Lord, which means to give weight to him. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine slash grape juice. I mean, does, it, does, it, does, he mean, does he mean financial? I would say, yeah, he does mean financial, but not just financial. And that's where the prosperity gospel misses it. It's like, you know what? Is that the only way God can bless? It, does it mean that? It does mean that, but that's not the only thing that he means. God is not an investment program. So uh, here's an interesting little deal. When you see the whole idea of sowing and reaping, and you put a little seed into the ground, what comes out of the ground looks very different than the seed you put into the ground. And that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes you actually do something, that, and then the fruit from that looks very different than what you actually put into the ground. And so some of the other things that could be uh, happening in that whole thing would be uh, like contentment, for example. Contentment. Some of you all uh, look at Philippians 4.13, and everybody's like, what a great, some of your athletes or former athletes or whatever, and you, Philippians 4.13, that's my verse. I don't want to burst your bubble. Philippians 4.13 has nothing to do with making a free throw. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with throwing a touchdown pass or making a tackle. Has nothing to do with that. It actually says, listen, your contentment will come from your generosity. So it's not about athletics. It's actually about generosity. Think of it this way. When you go to a good restaurant and you really like the service, you tend to go back. Okay, here's a little, here's a little frank secret. Thursdays, Thursday night is sort of like, for us, kind of the week is done, at least for me, all right? We kind of operate on a Saturday afternoon through Thursday night deal. So what that means is Lori's asking some questions on Thursday night, like, is the sermon done? All right, is it going to be here this weekend? She's asking those questions. So what our deal is, is on Thursday night, three out of four nights, or three out of four Thursdays during the month, we go and celebrate that another sermon's done and we're going to have a good weekend. And we go to a place in Hendersonville. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. it the initials are P and B, and it sounds like Papa and sounds like beer. But that's, kinda, that is, that's where we go because we like the Mexican fruit there. We love it. We go there. Why do we go there? We go there because we love the service, we love the people, and I love the fajitas. And so repeat customer is, they do this good, and so I'm going to give them more money, and I'm going to go there more. And God's like, you know what? I bless this cat over here, and he actually helps some other people with it. And so what might God choose to do? Well, I'm going to give him some more so he can bless some more people. Maybe it's contentment. Maybe it's financial. Here's another one. Hey, parents, maybe it's your kids. How could God bless you in every way? Some of y'all got kids, and they're spoiled as can be. They just are. I mean, they just are. It's easy to spoil kids. Why? Because we're spoiled, and we are. Think about the difference. Just, just imagine with me. Could it be the fact that when they see you just this Christmas, and you sit down and explain to him or her, hey, Junior, tell you what we're going to do. is We're going to have one less Christmas gift, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to sponsor four families. A lot of them are going to be in Haywood County. And you know what happened in Haywood County like six weeks ago? Homes got blown away. Homes got flooded away. And what we're going to do is you're not going to have, you're going to have one less present, but you're going to have four families. We're going to supply groceries for a week for them. Just a question. That will, do you not think that's going to stain Junior more than like a hundred different sermons? I've taken my boys when they were growing up. I took them on like mission trips sometime. And I promise you, when you come back from seeing urine running in the streets and the bad parts of Africa or someplace in the third world, 
it's very hard for them to come back from seeing all that poverty and seeing all that stuff and come back and be spoiled and asked, and that can happen, it's just harder. I'll tell you another blessing it could be. It could be about your marriage. Seriously, it could be about your marriage. You hadn't done a joint project with each other other than just making sure that the kids are to the right practice and to the right ballet and to the right X, Y, and Z. But I'm talking about you praying with each other saying, what do you want us to do? Could be about your marriage. Could be about your kids. Could be about finances. Could be about contentment. Could be about fulfillment. All of those things. So here's what's going to happen. So verse 12 says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. In other words, it's going to take care of some needs but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Let me, let me give you a little, prophet, little, little word of prophecy. I'm not a prophet, but let me give you a little word of prophecy. You can see it right now. Here's what's going to happen in December. Each Sunday in December, you're going to see a video. You're going to see a story of somebody that you, through your generosity, blessed. Some, some of y'all, you're going to be in here weeping. We've already got some of the stories. You're going to be weeping in here. You're going to see somebody who's... I'm supposed to not let out all, any of these secrets, but it's just a little, okay. You're going to see somebody who's like, like car got blown away or got swept away by a river of water. And all of a sudden they're like, what? A car! You think like the big reveal is awesome and you guys, some of y'all cry over those shows where like, here, think about when your church does stuff like that. You're going to be here going, ha, ha, that's amazing, that's amazing. The question is, were you part of that or are you just watching the question is, are you actually a participant in that on the 12th of December when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you, we pack the groceries and we take them and distribute them and say, these are for your friends. Man, the next week is on us. Is your little daughter going to tug? It's like, hey, mama, we did that. We did that. Or are they going to look at you and go, why didn't we do that, mama? Why didn't we do that? I go to school with that little girl in that video. So here's what's, uh, here's kind of what we want to end today. And I'm going to pray for us. I mean, that's all I got. It's not fancy. I use as many illustrations as I can. My point is this. You can make a difference. The whole thing we always talk about is just because you can't help everybody doesn't mean you can't help somebody. You can help somebody. I'm not going to coerce you and I'm not going to guilt trip. I'm just laying out before you. Here's, uh, let, me, let me do you one more story. Jesus is actually quoted. We don't know where he said it in the Gospels, but he's actually quoted in the book of Acts when he says it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, we have a hard time believing that sometimes, don't we? Because, man, we like us some gifts. I like us some gifts. I like, I like I love it. You know where it kind of changed for me is about three or four months ago. We're actually over in Brevard with Lori, and, you know, we got this brand new little, got this brand new little granddaughter. Man, I never had no daughters. I had a bunch of sons. I mean, I had sons. I didn't no sisters, no daughters. It's like, but now it's like I'm I'm like wrapped around the finger. So we go into a place up there in Brevard called Opie Taylor's. All right, we walk in that place, and I'm I'm an innocent. I'm like walking in there thinking nothing is. And my wife is like, saw all these girl stuff. And she's like, got to get this, got to get this, got to get this. And you know what I did? And I'm tired and bark on a tree most of the time. But she's like, we got to get this and this and this and this. It's like, let's do it. Let's do it because it's for Elsie. Because my sons are like, where was that dad when we were growing up? Where was that guy? Who took our dad? 
Who did that? Why? And it was awesome. It's like, sure, put the sneakers on her shorts. I mean, we were giving her shoes before she could walk. I mean, we just love to do that. And we understood. It's so awesome to see that. Now, listen, here's, here's what's going to happen. Is as a church, there's a lot of little girls. There's a lot of little boys. There's a lot of families that you are going to get the blessing to say, you know what? God loves you, and we love you. And here's a tangible expression. Our God's a giver. He didn't just give his son, but he's telling us to give this, and we just we want to love you. And you will be more blessed than if you just said, well, I'm just going to audit this class. I promise you will. So bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to end with an appropriate uh, song. Father, thanks for... Thanks for the opportunities and the partners that you have given us as a church. And it is so fun to anticipate what you're going to do. God, thank you for the generosity of your people already. The stuff that we've been able to plan, people we've been able to already meet and talk with. And God, our prayer is that as these things happen in December, it's kind of a twofold prayer. And the first one is that you would receive such honor and glory that it wouldn't be like, hey, that's a generous church. They would say, that's a generous God that they serve. God, deepen our hearts, stamp on our hearts the generosity of the gospel. The generosity of the gospel. Though you were rich for our sake, you became poor. You died on that tree for us. And so, God, we can certainly live for you. And God, our prayer that our, our vertical it was awesome to sing and awesome to worship, and it's the fuel for our Christian life, and it's so good. But God, help that be the fuel for our relationships with people in our communities. And we specifically pray for every Sunday, Christmas Eve, all that kind of stuff going on in December. The thousands of people we're going to meet many times for the first time. God, give us a generous heart to be able to say, you know what? We love you. God loves you. It's great to meet you. God, I pray today that uh, by the thousands, built more people would say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump on. I'm going to serve. I'm going to sponsor. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.